George Copeland has been one of the greatest snook fishermen to ever throw a mullet over the side of a bridge. He and his good friend Tommy Green caught a pile of monsters for decades. And on today's podcast, he walks us through those glory years when sleep was brief and 20 and 30 pound fish were common. We hope you enjoy. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. (laughs) There's something fishy going on here. George Copeland, man, we go way back. Yeah, uh, quite and, quite a ways. Yeah, it's not that we spent a lot of time together, but when I first got into this whole game of trying to catch a tarpon, um, a friend at the time was John Glorio. I bought a bunch of equipment from you. Yeah, you know, all kinds uh, of stuff. But you were, you had a big spectrum in the world of fishing, but it was prominently focused towards snook, and we want to talk about that, but. You made mention that you used to be a, a guide in the Keys. You have a 200-pound fish in your garage. So your life has been one of fishing, and you own, for a long time now, the store where I first met you, TNR Tackle. Yeah, I've had it for, uh, I want to say, 45 years now. And uh, I go way back in fishing. Uh, a name that uh, you, you probably know, John Emery. For sure. John Emery and I were very good friends. In fact, I have triple zero of the tarpon fly reel and triple zero of his smaller bonefish reel. Oh, wow. And uh, another uh, fisherman that I think should be in the Hall of Fame for his fishing ability, he's in the Hall of Fame for guiding, Ralph Delph. Oh, yeah. And Ralph is was, was a fantastic fisherman, far better than most people ever realized unless they spent time fishing with him where he was actually fishing instead of just guiding right um so he's in the captains and crew hall of fame you're saying but he's right. not in the igfa no and he actually won the metropolitan fishing tournament sure. fishing by himself right before he was guiding you know uh steve huff says about ralph delf that guy could have caught a blue marlin out of a mud hole in flamingo <laughs> That's probably pretty much the truth. And I, th- right? I think he did catch a swordfish in Flamingo. Yes, he did. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I know he. I think, yeah, yeah. He, he caught did. a swordfish in Flamingo. Right. How did he catch a swordfish? Obviously, the fucking thing was really sick and really lost. <laughs> it was really lost, but how they got him to eat, like you said, he could catch 
You could you know, fish out of a mud hole. Yeah, I think that there's a there's going to be a movement soon where possibly R.T. Trossett and and Al, Ralph Delft too might. There's going to be a nomination to get them into the Hall of Fame, you know, above and beyond the Captains and Crew Hall of Fame. But let's go back a little bit because uh, everybody knows John Emery as a fly guy. Were oh, you yeah. a big fly fisherman as yes. well? Oh, yeah. Well, John and I fished uh, all the time together. We spent a ton of time fishing. In fact, the last year that John was alive, he called me on uh, Monday night and uh, said, let's go to Homosassa. He said, the fish are in Homosassa. And I would, he said, we drive all night, we can get there. I said, yeah, but I only got three days. I said, why don't we just fish the Keys? So we ended up fishing the Keys, which was the biggest mistake. I should have gone to Homosassa and fished with him. Right. Because, because I think a lot of people know Johnny Emery uh, from fishing with Steve, or actually uh, Flip Pallet, Chico, sure. Norman Duncan, yep. and the four of them pretty much really started the fly fishing world out of Miami, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. In the early years. Were, yeah. you, were you part of that group, too? I've fished with them, but I wasn't really a part of that group. When I first met John, he was working at J. Lee Cuddy. Right. Now, what people don't know is he was a professor of psychology at the University of Miami at one time. Wow. So he was very intelligent, but uh, very intelligent on fishing John would always seem to be where the fish were. He had the ability to sense and know where to go next and be in the fish. And unfortunately, he died of melanoma at a very young age. And we all tried to get him to go see a doctor. And he went to uh, the uh, Miami uh, Fishing Club, the Rod and Reel Club in Miami one night. And one of the doctors looked at his cheek and said, so before you go back to the Keys, come to my office, we're cutting it off. And he cut it off and got it biopsied. And the next day, he spent driving through the Keys, because it was before the cell phone era, right. trying to find John to get him and bring him back to cut half his face off to try to save his life. And they you know, either didn't get it all or already had gone too far. God, that is scary. And it was just a little freckle, a little mole, or what was it? Melanoma? It was a little, a pretty good-sized looking mole. It it would definitely have gotten your attention. I've had all kinds of things cut off. If you look at my nose, you'll see stitches. If you look on the side of my nose, you see a hole. So I've gotten things cut off all the time. In fact, I got to go in again. I got something weird over here. So... I, it's just a flesh wound at this stage. Go in this when they you call have to. you back and say it's not so good. Well, you go in, they usually take it, biopsy it, and then they call you. You're scheduled for surgery at uh, such and such time. Yeah. Come on in. So, are you the best snook fisherman ever? Uh, I would definitely say no, and uh, I would also say that. Uh, there's a lot of really good snook fishermen, and there's snook fishermen today that probably are uh, much better. I mean, Tommy Green and I fish together an awful lot, and uh, Tommy's a really, really good snook fisherman. Tommy uh, thinks he's the best. Are you well, better than Tommy? Well, if Tommy says he's the best, 
if Tommy says he's the best, <laughs> I'm just going to go. It's okay. He's the best. Uh, the one thing uh, I say is if you're humble, you're humble. And if you exalt yourself, you will be made humble. And that's biblical, but that's the truth. When we exalt ourselves to where we shouldn't be, we usually fall. Yeah. I think so, Tommy's still exalting. Um, <laughs> we love Tommy. I love Tommy. Tommy, we love. I know he's going to be listening, Tommy. Oh yeah, he'll, you're he'll you demand Tommy. He'll definitely listen to, to that. But, well, let's go back to your early years of fishing. Where you were raised in South Florida? I actually was born in Broward General Hospital, uh-huh. and I grew up fishing in Fort Lauderdale. I lived uh, in Southeast Fort Lauderdale by Tarpon River. I could walk to Tarpon River or walk to Tarpon Bend. When I was a kid. Tarpon Bend had two lots. Wow. And you could fish in either one of the lots. Well, when we were going to school, we'd save our lunch money from school, which would be about $2.50 for the week. And Friday afternoon, we'd go to this little tackle store called Redmond's on New River, and they sold Pfluger plugs for 50 cents apiece. So we'd get our $2.50 worth of plugs and go to Tarpon Bend. We'd get there about five in the evening and my mother, who raised me alone, worked till seven. So she'd pick us up when she got off work. Well, most of the time my buddy and I were sitting there because we didn't have any lures anymore because there were so many tarpon at Tarpon Bend. If you threw the lure too far out, you had a tarpon on. If you didn't throw it as far out, you might catch a snook for dinner. And you were targeting snook? Well, we were targeting either one, but right. we tried to catch a snook first, and then, then we play with the tarpon. <laughs> That's funny. How old were you at this, at this time? Oh, at that time, I would say I was probably about 12 years old. Who brought you to fishing? I just got into it kind of on my own. With it's friends? kind of weird. No friends or anything. I just, you know, don't even remember exactly how. I remember, uh, you know, naturally the first reels I had were bait casting reels that the uh, handles turned backwards and burned your thumb off if you hooked a big fish and then went into the spinning reels. So they were, yeah. Well, I, you know, I hear all these stories about you and Tom Green on the bridges on the 10 cent bridge and, you know, whatever bridge catching these monsters snuck with heavy tackle. Was there anyone doing that before you guys that kind of paved the way? You know, I honestly don't know that there really was, but there was quite a few guys that uh, did that type of fishing. Uh, Ernie Hartness was a snook fisherman, and Ernie, uh, one of Ernie's fish, I think, is in IGFA. He caught a 39-pound fish right around the corner from here on the Hillsborough Canal. So, you know, a lot of these snook fishermen caught a lot of snook. There was uh, two brothers in uh, Palm Beach, Bivens, Kirk and James Bivens, that uh, did that type of fishing also. What was the best bridge? Well, the best bridge up there in Stewart probably was the old Roosevelt for catching the majority. But the bigger fish usually came off of uh, 25 or 10 cent. But uh, my favorite bridge that I probably caught the most Big snook off of was the old Flagler Bridge in Palm Beach. Is that right? Chucking big mullet? More sand perch than mullet. I could tell a story that you'd get a kick out of. Sure, let's hear it. 
we drive up to a Jupiter to throw off the old US-1 stump bridge. To get your bait? And we'd throw the net for perch. I threw a 14-footer. When we got 70 baits for the two of us, we'd come back. 14-foot cast net. That's crazy. Yeah. And we'd come back and we'd park in front of the bank on the east side of Flagler Bridge. And we had a minivan and we'd set a Big Ben alarm clock and try to sleep from when we caught the bait to when the tide was right, which could be four hours or five hours. Then we'd run out on the bridge, dump one bait well, and fish. So... The things that uh, people don't realize, the one night we did it, a friend of ours was fishing on the bridge. And we got there and we took out the bait well and we took out the rods and my buddy went to park and he came over and said, you guys missed it. I just caught two fish. And he said, you should have been here earlier. Would you help me load my Jeep? Because I'm by myself. So I said, sure. So he gets his Jeep and he loads the rods in. And he drives off, and I turned around to Jimmy Voorhees that was with me. I said, if he'd have stayed five more minutes, he'd have seen what we're going to do. <laughs> and what did you do then? Well, when you're snook fishing, I used to use like about an eight-foot-long leader. So I'd have the leader tied on. And, first, and what was that leader? How many? It was 130. 130. Straight 130 to your hook. Right. Well, I, you had 80 or 100 mainline. But I hooked a perch on, I dropped him in the water, and the leader knot didn't get in the water before he got eight. And we probably caught 25 fish after the guy said that it was said over. we missed it, <laughs> left. <laughs> I hope he finds this and, he listens, listens, and sees this and goes, you got to be kidding. <laughs> um, you know, times have changed so radically, but uh, just like the Flats people, you have Permit freaks, bonefish freaks, tarpon sure. freaks. Yeah, you were that that snook freak. Well, we kind because, of really yeah. did a lot of snook fishing, and we did that because I could fish for snook and then go to work. And I'll, when did you sleep? <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> not a whole lot, but a lot of the fishing I would do is I would fish from four o'clock in the morning till the store opened. So I'd get up early. So I got used to going to bed at 7 or 8 o'clock, so I'd get a half-decent sure. night's sleep. So even when the tide was rising, it wasn't a perfect tide, you'd still fish those morning hours? Or would you try to no. would you try to hit it on that exact tide? We fished the tides that we wanted to fish. And the interesting thing that most people don't realize is I'll give just an example of Fort Lauderdale. Sunrise Boulevard Bridge was a great outgoing bridge. Commercial Bridge was better on the incoming. Los Olas was incoming or outgoing. And then the little Mercedes bridge that doesn't have a fish on it anymore used to be good on the outgoing. Crazy. So the different bridges were different tides. Is that because of the structure and, and how fish held in How in fish held and I think also how the bait fish moved through. Right. Because people think that you go to a bridge and there's no bait and they have bait it's going to be good. Well, chances are there's no fish there because if there's no bait there, why they would move. the fish be there? Yeah. So so walk me through it. You're on one of those bridges. A falling tide is preferred. You have a falling tide. You cast that sand perch up current, 
correct? Right. And, so it comes back into the bridge. And you're just reeling the slack that it when right. it's coming back down. You're just trying to maintain or stay with it. You right. don't want to be real tight to it. And then all of a sudden you have that big yeah, thump. Yeah, if you get a thump from a sand perch, it'll wake you up. You'll know that you've got a bite. So, so because like in tarpon fishing with bait, shrimp and crabs, you feel that thump, thump, and then it gets tight. Yeah. What is that thump? Well, if you watch a snook eat Is it, when they shake their head maybe when they first no, get it? No, when a snook eats a bait, his jaw actually almost on hinges and it, when he comes down, if you could set the hook when you feel the thump, you probably would never miss one. Because when he first hits it, he's holding the live bait tighter because he's got it. He's trying to hold it. He it right. doesn't want it to get away. So that thump is when his mouth closes. Right. Because with tarpon, they, they, they predominantly suck their fish in. Yeah. And I always thought maybe that thump might be that that sucking action, pulling on the line. No, but I've watched enough was, snook eat. But I'm talking about tarpon. Yeah, but tarpon, yeah, like you said, that the tarpon had just kind of come up, and it's just like he opens his mouth. And it's gone. And fly fishing, you know, it's not like he swam over the fly. You just The fly disappeared. Right. You yeah, know, they're sucking like, it in. Yeah. It's like he just... Yeah. When did you first see these big snook that were available to be caught from oh, other people? No, this is probably going back to when I was 11, 12 years old on the old Cadova bridges by 17th Street Causeway. You could see them laying down there? Well, we'd see them swimming through in daybreak in the morning. And if the bridge lights were on at night, you'd see the fish swimming. So you knew they were there. And they also swam by Tarpon Bend every morning. We'd, uh, Bobby Clark used to have the corner house that I think the Everett family rebuilt, if I'm right. And that corner house, we used to fish there, and you'd see one snook after another swim down that seawall at daybreak in the morning. Wow. I mean, you'd see 50 or 60 snooks swim by you. If you stood there today, if you saw one, it'd probably be a good day. Crazy. Uh, Steve Huff, the great fly fishing guide, yeah. Uh, he grew up in Miami, and he had a bicycle, and that's what he did. He snook fished. Yeah. And all these years later, I think he's 74 now, he snook fishes almost every day. It's his favorite fish. Yeah. Why Why are snooks so compelling? I really don't know. I mean, they they fight good, but there's other fish that fight equally well. I think there's just something about it. It's more a South Florida fish, you know, now, yeah, they're in Costa Rica and Belize and all over the place, but it's just something I think people fished for here. Easy, you could fish for them without boats and stuff like that. Right, yeah. Because yeah. I did a ton of fishing without the boat. Of course, I did plenty of fishing in the boats. So what kind of boats did you have over these years? But is snook fishing better with the boat or better on land? It depends on where you're fishing and how you're fishing them. Right. Uh, boats, uh, I've had uh, uh, action crafts and uh, chaparrales, stuff like that. The one boat I'll get back to was, we were talking about John Emery. When John Emery had cancer and he was dying, he was in Boston, Maryland in the cancer clinic. And he called me on Monday night and he said, do you want to buy my boat? And I said, what? John, what? He said, do you want to buy my boat? I go, how much you want for it? He says, 9000 bucks. He said, just write the check and give it to Carolyn. The boat's in the garage. I said, okay. And I turned around and I told my wife, I said, 
they must have just told John that uh, he's going to die because he just sold me the boat for $9,000. So I had the stalker that John built himself, but uh, he died that Friday. Wow. So it was four days later. Hmm. What, uh, I'm just trying to think here, you know, as far as, you know, now you have a boat and now you're, you're 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 weighing how to how to approach these fish boat or on land and where the big ones are were most of the big ones always under these bridges no we caught plenty of them out in front of pier 66 we also caught them out at the old coast guard docks uh today we catch them in jupiter inlet we catch them in palm beach inlet uh they're Government cut still has plenty of them. And those in inlets are all boat related for sure. Yeah. We used to fish haul over from land. You can't even walk out where that jetty where we used to catch them. If you saw any of Tommy's old uh, scrapbooks, I probably should have brought a couple with me. We caught 16 fish a morning on live mullet fishing at haul over. In fact, we'd take 50 or 60 mullet for Tommy and I, and if we had a buddy with us, we tried to get 70 mullet to fish for an hour. And you guys would you guys would keep these snook and eat them, correct? We kept a lot of them to eat them. Uh, I think Tommy gave a few away to some of his friends and things. Most of the ones that uh, I kept, I tried to make sure that I ate. I don't like to kill something and uh, have it uh, right. spoiled. I remember, remember the story goes before they learned how to had a fillet them. Nobody ate snook because they, they said that they, they tasted like soap. They, they did. called They're them soap fish. Terrible. If you don't get all the skin off, it doesn't taste good. Right. And if you watched me fillet a snook, I'd leave a little bit of meat next to the skin. Just I didn't, to make sure. Right. I didn't skin it so that you just pulled the skin right. perfectly off. I left a little there so that it was a real nice white-looking texture. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, because that's New River that gets you up into Tarpon Bay. Tarpon Bend, yeah. Yeah, Tarpon yep. Bend there. Um, when I first started fishing for tarpon, um, I loved, you know, fish with mullet, troll mullet up and down, you know, the New River, get up into Tarpon Bend. Yeah. But when we were doing it, we had all those, um, the ferry boats going up and oh, down. Oh, sure. it's so It's so damn busy. And I remember one time... Uh, very poignant. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, I was doing some work with Good Morning America at the time, and I was down here, and Michael Kennedy, I think it was which one of the Kennedy family members, was killed skiing in Aspen, and they wanted me to fly out. And I told Nikki we were going to go fishing the next day. Well, early that morning, I got the call. They wanted me to fly out to do a report on his death. And I looked at Nikki sitting in the Range Rover in my boat hooked up to the boat uh, or hooked up to the car, and I couldn't break your heart. I said, well, I, I, I can't go. I'm busy. And you and I went down. There was a really cold day. And we're trolling up New River with mullet. And all of a sudden, we had this big tarkin just smash this mullet. I don't know if you remember this. No. It was the only one we hooked that day. Boats are going by. And now we've got this 167 60-something pound fish on. It was really on fire back in the day. I can't even imagine what you saw. Unbelievable. I caught one 192 pounds. It was uh, Bob Clark's house then that was on the corner. From the bank or from the seawall? From the seawall. And you got him? From the seawall, yeah. Did you kill him? Yeah. 
Uh, we, that's one of the ten that I killed. <laughs> why, are you laugh, you can, why are you laughing at that, Dad? As you can tell. I killed him. I would have killed him, too. <laughs> You're 10 well, years old with 190 no, pounds. Times was, were different back think, then. Uh, for sure, they yeah, were I different. I think I was actually, I'm going to say... 18 or 19. And you got that. But you also have a 200-pound fish in your garage, you say. Yeah, that but, was caught on Lauderdale, right off of Lauderdale Beach. And that was during the mullet run. Right. What, <laughs> what were those mullet runs like? Those mullet runs, compared to what we have today, were absolutely unbelievable. When I was uh, growing up, a school of mullet would start coming down Lauderdale Beach, and the whole Lauderdale Beach would be that school of mullet. A mile long or how long? A mile, mile and a half or or longer. And they just <coughs> went through for hours and right. hours. Uh, yeah. I, you know what? I didn't see it like that, but I saw it when it was really good. We used to go up there and there would be a massive school of mullet and there would be spinner sharks and tarpon and jacks in there. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. Yeah, mullet spraying in your boat yeah. and just... Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember the last time I think we fished uh, Fort a, Lauderdale from wall to wall inside the basin. Port Everglades. Yeah. Port Everglades. From wall to wall, there were tarpon flying with the mullet that were sprayed. Oh, yeah. It was insane. How, how, yeah. would you, how would you fish, like target those tarpon during the mullet run? Because I feel like it's so tough. You have 10,000 mullet. And here you are casting a bait out with a hook. Would you injure the fish, cut the tail off? Well, I'll, I'll give you a... Uh, uh, for instance, when Tommy Green and I first started fishing together, we were fishing the mullet run, and Tommy casts out and snags a mullet, makes sure he's hooked good, and pitches him out. I snagged a mullet. I reached over, took my knife, cut, cut, his, tail his, cut his head off so that there was about a chunk of an inch of meat behind the head, put the hook through there, and pitched it back out. And I got a bite and hooked up, and Tommy didn't know what I did. You put it on the bottom. Put it on the bottom. And if it's a calm day or a calm enough day that you don't get weeds, mullet head on the bite bottom will get a bite in a second compared to live bait swimming. In so that that's school. the ticket. We we caught so many fish fishing mullet heads on the bottom. Interesting. We used to troll, you know, outside. two mullet on the outside of the school right. where there's no other bait. That's, and you have the uh, the fish that were circling the school, you know, prior of, of entering. Right. They find them. They find that single fish. And they'll blow them up. Yeah. But you caught that 200-pound fish. Were you off the beach? I was actually standing on the beach. Caught that one off the beach. How much backing did you have on that reel? Well, it wasn't a fly reel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't well, a fly well, reel. It was a spinning rod. How do you stop it, a 200-pound? No, it was a 4 row. A we used to use a 4-0, the same rods we used for snook fishing, the 9-10 foot rods, so we could cast way out and snag something. So And grab a mullet. Yeah, wow. so you could pull a little harder. We usually fished with 50 or 60 pound mono, so you had enough line. And if you were lucky, he went down the beach and you could run along with him. If he went out, he could just... Yeah, take you to the bottom and wave by. Right. As a, as a young kid, did you ever, you know, did you ever want to be a fishing guide? What did you want to do with your life? Was fishing going to be a part of your life from young age? I don't honestly think that I really had any uh, desire, specific idea. I ended up uh, working in the carpet business for a number of years, crawling around on my hands and knees, and uh, worked in uh, bowling lanes at the control counters and uh, 
got to be able to bowl pretty well. Did you bowl with uh, Tommy quite a bit? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I went out and uh, bowled some on the tour. and No kidding. Didn't do that great, so uh, didn't didn't stay after that. But, uh, you know, you try different things. That wasn't... Uh, wasn't something that I felt like I was going to go out and succeed at. So. Right. When did you go down to the Keys? What I did when I was guiding out of the Keys, I actually owned TNR Tackle, and I would guide three days a week with people that wanted to fly fish for tarpon more than anything else. Most of the guiding I did was fly fishing for tarpon, some bonefish and some permits. So you go down in like tarpon. May? We'd start going down as early as... I would say March. Used to start fishing Channel Key Banks in March. Oh, no kidding. What, yeah, kind, what kind of equipment were you using back then? Well, back then. Bite, bite tippet and stuff like that. Well, we were using 15-pound tippet, and we were using 12-weight uh, fly rods with the bigger reels. Anything, well, once John Emery's reels were available, I was using John's reels. But before that, we used... Finor number threes, Captain Max. Right, you know, Seamasters. Yeah, the Captain Max Seamasters for sure. And is, was this early 80s? Uh, probably, yeah, I'm going to say early 80s, like eight, right, eight, starting around 80. Just I didn't know you were I got, Just before I got into it. I didn't know you were a guide down there back then. Well, I only guided for certain people. Yeah. A lot of the doctors up here... I took fishing down there and uh, some other people, but not that much. That's why when John Gloria wanted to learn how to do it, I went down, spent three or four days with him and showed him quite a few different places to fish and what tides to fish places, you know, taking him to spots and saying, you pull here like this and the right. fish are going to come here and this, that and the other. It's just like so many people when you talk about different things. You fish down there. Most people don't even know what Blue Bank was. Right. Blue Bank, where's that? Schooner? Tarpon or it's Schooner? You know. Right. Interesting. I, I heard you on another podcast tell a story about how this, this gentleman on a bridge, you said he caught a 30-pound snook or something. He actually uh, said he caught a 40-pound snook. 40-pound snook. Do you mind telling that story? I thought that was great. It was actually Camino Boulevard Bridge, and a friend of mine, Greg LeBanc, and I had been up in Stewart fishing all night, and we stopped because we had sand perch to fish Camino. So we walked out, and this gentleman standing there says, my buddy Bill just caught a 40-pound snook. And we're like, wow. And he goes, yeah. He says, I got it in the trunk. I said, well, before you guys leave... I I haven't seen a 40-pound snook in a long time. I'd sure like to see it. So the guy says, sure. So we're all getting ready to go, and Greg's got his truck parked, and the guy's car is right next to us. So he opens up the trunk of the car, and it's wrapped up in a sheet. Well, as soon as I look at it, I can tell the snook might be 22, 24 pounds at the most. So the guy unwraps it and shows it to me. Yeah, what do you think, 42, 43 pounds? I said, well, I got a certified scale if you really want to know. He goes, yeah, so I waited. I said, oh, it weighs 23 and a half pounds. And uh, he goes, no, no, that thing's got to be 40, your scale's off. So I hopped up in the truck and I opened up Greg's cooler and I pulled up a 37 pound fish that I caught earlier. I said, if yours is 40, how big is this? <laughs> but I, I love but that. the story gets better. 
about two weeks later, we're up on the bridge and the guy's talking about the 40-pound snook he caught a couple of weeks ago and that he weighed it on uh, oh, Spanish River Boulevard at the Publix on the public scale, and it weighed 41 pounds. And Greg was with me, and Greg said that he was a nasty word, liar. And I said, I saw the fish, and the fish didn't weigh 23 and a half because we weighed it on a certified scale. And he goes, George owns TNR Tackle, and that scale was certified for IGFA World Records. So he said, if I wouldn't buy any meat at that Publix if I were you guys. <laughs> Pretty funny. Did, did you ever chase world records? Was that you know a, a goal of yours? Uh, I've caught quite a few world records fishing with Ralph Delph. Uh, I still have, I think, uh, world record snapper or world record shark on fly. What about for snook? I had the uh, length record for snook at one time. Tommy chased uh, the two pound test world record. I think he actually had it at one time too. So between the two of us, we've had a few. Uh, you know, if you actually, now today where IGFA changed, they only recognize so heavy a line in conjunction with snook fishing. So if you're using 80 pound test line, you might just barely get into oh, wow. what they allow. They changed the dimensions. I, I didn't realize well, that. Well, instead of being unlimited, they only allow so right. much. But, you know, trying to catch one of those fish is a good trick. I think I've seen uh, probably four or five fish in Florida that I would think were well over 50 pounds. Wow. One was on Los Olas Boulevard Bridge in Fort Lauderdale. Another one was on a little bridge on Los Olas that they call Snyder Bridge. What's the biggest snook you've ever caught? Well, it would depend on where it, which IGFA scale you wanted to weigh it on or Florida Department of Agriculture. I caught a fish that weighed 43 pounds in Bill Boyd's tackle, and that scale was certified. And I took it back and weighed it at my shop, TNR, that weighed 41 on our scale that was also certified by Who certified Florida, your scale? Florida Department of Agriculture. Oh, wow. Certified the both of good. them. Inconsistent. Hmm. So It's crazy. That's a big snook. Um, you're 74. Yeah. And you're still fishing for, for snook. I still do. I, I was going to go this morning with my older son. My older son's 46. He wanted to go this morning, but uh, my car did a hiccup and stayed overnight in the dealership. So I didn't <laughs> take my wife's car to go snook fishing. She'd have gone, you're putting your rods in a bay well in there? I don't think so. <laughs> how much um, has your snook fishing changed from the early years to how you fish for them today? Basically, the live bait fishing, I'd say, hasn't changed at all. Uh, and even the lure fishing, I think a lot of people don't understand that even years ago when we fished jigs, we'd throw a jig out and wind it as slow as you could wind it. And all these guys the last few years have been fishing flare hawk jigs, and you throw it out, and if you just bump it, barely bump it along the bottom is how you get the bite. And we were doing that same thing years and years ago. What about the number of snook and the size? Are they still the big? The number and of snook have definitely decreased. The number of uh, fish 
uh, has changed tremendously. Even uh, Juno Pier has a lot of snook around it, uh, according to the people that fish Juno Pier. I went up there, I think, 10 years ago and uh, walked out on the pier and the guy with me goes, look at all the snook. I said, you should have seen it 10 years ago yeah. when the old Penny's Pier was here and it was a wooden pier and only went halfway out. Right. So there ain't no snook here compared to what there used to be. But I think that's the story with everywhere, you know, in South Florida fishing, you know, well, regardless of what you're talking about. The baselines change, what yeah. we were talking about earlier. Fortunately, Broward County, Fort Lauderdale area has tremendous problem with the sewage spills in the canals and Broward County is probably the worst water that I've seen anywhere. And uh, it's like I tell people, I fished probably six mullet in the past month in this mullet run that I netted in the canals in Fort Lauderdale because there just isn't any mullet. Two days I had one bridge that had schools of mullet. And other than that, I saw basically nothing. And used to be able to net mullet anywhere you wanted. Jeff Maggio that you've sure. fished with, that uh, Jeff fishes really hard and really strong. He's a good fisherman. And the places where we used to catch mullet, you couldn't catch a mullet if you wanted to. Yeah, the water's... Terrible. And that's just because of water quality. Well, that's because of the water quality and the sewage spills. Jeff and I were talking in, uh, about, I'm going to say two weeks ago, and uh, there was a sewage spill by 15th Street Fishery, and there was a no-fish zone from just outside 17th Street Bridge so far in to the north. And Jeff and I were both, what, the tide doesn't move? They think that stuff just stays there, they right. no fish, no swim zone. When that tide comes in, all that bad water moves. It goes in and out. So all the canals in those areas are full of the sewage from the sewage Oh, spills. God, that's just awful. Mm. You, know, you, you hear that story so much. Los Olas, every dead end on Los Olas Boulevard, you could drive by at daybreak in the morning on the mullet run. There'd be thousands of mullet in each canal. This year I drove by them. Empty. Didn't even see a mullet. Right. I so, remember we used to net mullet by Heisinger's Canal right behind Heisinger's yeah. house. Well, that's Heis Heisinger's, the one that's on the corner. I said yeah, yeah, the ever, ever yeah, Heisinger. family, but yeah. it was, that was Heisinger's. Used to be good, that used to be good fishing back yeah. in the day. Well, that's where I loved it. I, that was Bob Clark's old corner. Right. Um, I swam around that channel marker. I couldn't tell you how many times with tarpon on on the corner of Tarpon Bend. You'd jump in and chase it, swim after your tarpon? Or you'd hook a fish on the... Uh, uh, south side, and he'd go around the corner. You'd swim around the channel marker, come back in. <laughs> God, what great days! So we were we were pretty crazy. No, that's awesome. Uh, but your son too is a snook fisherman now. Well, both of them. I've got an older son that's George that uh, he grew up in southeast and southwest Fort Lauderdale, and he's caught tons and tons of snook. And my youngest son that uh, is uh, 26, he grew up and he loves snook fishing. Mostly snook, both of them. Well, my uh, oldest one loved tarpon fishing too. My youngest one likes tarpon fishing, but as he says, the tarpon don't like him. We went down and fished a few days with uh, Randy Tao, and uh, 
we had one tarpon eat a fly, and, and uh, Randy was telling me, he goes, you can't work the fly like that, George. You got to use the two-handed strip method. And I said, Randy, I've caught so many tarpon stripping with one hand. He said, it doesn't work, trust me. And the next fish I cast who ate it, I had him on, and Randy goes, well, what can I tell you? <laughs> but yeah. that was the only fish we had on in three days. And I'll guarantee that uh, we probably threw to three or 400 fish. Yeah, it's a real we, technical game now, for sure. It's, you know, and I was telling Randy, I said, you know, I'd really like to try something, but I didn't bring my fly box with me, was using his flies. I like to have tried some of the old tarpon flies that are much larger. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked. To see if they'd react to them in any way. Save your time. You try it. (laughs) (laughs) The old cockroaches. We're using little flies like this now. Oh, yeah. Little worm flies. Yeah, that's what we were using. One-o hooks. Yeah, one-o hook, a little tiny little worm fly. Yeah. And we used to use 5-0, stainless steel hooks. And uh, you want the uh, intermediate sinking line so you sure. get it down to the fish. Yeah. And today everybody seems to be throwing floating lines. All clear floating lines. Yep. Did, did the yeah. offshore world ever appeal to you? I did quite a bit of that. I mean, I never got into the blue marlin thing, but. Uh, you did quite a bit of sail fishing and oh, offshore yeah. fishing. Yeah. 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 Because you hear so so often all these guys that grew up down here, that you know, they cut their teeth at the docks, you know, mating on offshore boats like Billy Knowles and yeah. and what have you. Um, yeah. I just didn't know if you did, you did that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I did all kinds of that stuff. In fact, I was fishing with Delph one day out of uh, Key West, and his son Billy was next to us, and we were catching black fins. And I were catching black. I was catching them on fly. Billy was catching them to take them in and sell them. And... Uh, I told Ralph, I said, ah, there's a sailfish tailing. We're anchored up. I throw the fly to the sailfish, drip it twice, he eats it, and I got the sailfish on. And Ralph turns around and goes, that sailfish is jumping like he's hooked. I said, well, he better be, and I'm holding <laughs> my rod. He goes, you got him on a dead boat? And I go, he ate it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah. You know, one of the, the, the biggest uh, – um, joy to I think our hearts are, are hearing these great stories uh, that you guys saw and you guys experienced and how the sport evolved from, yeah. from and you know like what you and Tommy Green did with these big snook and it's such a shame today that uh, this is something that uh, Delph and I were talking about the last time I fished with him which was probably two months before he died was what our eyes had seen and the people growing up today would never see. Right. You know, you fished places for tarpon in the Keys that they don't swim anymore. Right. Sandy Key Basin. I haven't seen a tarpon in Sandy Key Basin in almost 20 years. Right. You know. Yeah. So what was is not anymore, unfortunately. And if we keep going the way we're going, what will be left to come, you know, we won't see it because we won't be here. Yeah. He'll probably see it. Yeah. And there's a big groundswell. There's a big movement, you know, with water quality issues in Tallahassee. Yeah. But one of the good things, the good story here, you might not be catching 30-pound snook, you know, anymore. But from the fly fishing world, 
even though they swim in different locations, the technology and the information and and how to catch these fish has evolved to the point that we're catching more fish today than they did back in the days. Oh, yeah. They had more bites. They had more fish. But the hooks are better, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fish have gotten much smarter, obviously, but you can still get them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you think you're catching more fish now than than you caught 30 years ago? 20 years ago? Um, That's a big statement. I, no, I'm not talking about in, in, in my generation, but if you take a look at some of the numbers in the Gold Cup, you know, in the early years, they say, okay, look, we killed our fish and your fish are bigger than ours. How can your fish be bigger than ours? Because we, we're, we're length and girthing them. They A lot of the early guys were talking about how our fish, just because we're length and girthing them, are not accurate. But when you talk to Steve Huff, he says, what you guys are doing today in the Gold Cup is so much harder than what we did. Because to get a release, you don't just break them off when your guide grabs the leader. We take the hooks out of every right. fish. Yeah. So in that regard, it's gotten harder. But look at uh, the holly. Okay, so Dustin and, and, uh, and, and Thane Morgan, they caught 27 fish in five days in the holly. Back in the in the earlier years, they never came close to catching no. that many fish, and that's a testament right yeah, there right. to the skill level yeah. and the, the sophistication that we better. have. It's 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 harder fishing, but if you're good, you can still get them. Yeah, but you got to be good, you know. Um, where do you want to go with this conversation? Because your life is so vast, um, <laughs> you know what what kind of I, I'm, I'm thinking here like. I can't imagine trying to catch a 40-pound snook off of a bridge. It's an interesting trick once you've hooked one, because if you ever hook one that big, some people tend to think that they don't pull that hard. Well, if you're fishing 80 or 100, they're pulling really hard. In fact, uh, a fish that I lost that I really wanted to catch a number of years back, uh, I think I was actually working with Tommy Green at Custom Rod. It was Custom Rod and Gun at the time. And I had gone fishing by myself. And uh, I really shot myself in the foot because there was an old guy on the side of the road that I knew and I stopped and I caught some mullet for him. And if I hadn't, he'd have come to the bridge to watch me. So I'm gonna fish my mullet, then I'll come up and watch you work. Well, I went up on the bridge and uh, I was by myself and I, put a bait back up under the bridge and I got a bite. And I mean, I pulled so hard that um, all the veins in my neck were out and I was just pulling for all I was worth. And I finally got the fish out from underneath the bridge and he shook his head and I was fishing between a bridge and a pipe where the sewer pipes or the water mains went across. So only had as much room as between you and I to have the rod down between the pipe. Well, there's pilings going to the shore and there was sand on the one side of the bridge. So I said, well, I'll walk him over, slide in between the pilings and beach him. So I got his head out of the water and I'm walking him over. And as I'm going through the two pilings, he shakes his head. There's one oyster sticking up and cuts me off. And The only thing that I could say was how big it was, I really couldn't tell you. But I can tell you that four of the guides on the rod, this is how hard I pulled, 
the guide feet came through the thread on the first four guides. Wow. I bet and you that the was a poxy finish. I bet you the best rod was probably just a broomstick with the eye guides on it. Well, we what we used back in the day, Tommy and Green and I, was uh, Gator Glass made a shark rod blank that was 10 foot long for shark fishing. And it was heavy fiberglass, and that was what we used for snook fishing. Why would a long rod 10 feet long be good? Well, the reason why we use the long rod, which most people don't realize, if you're standing on a bridge and he goes back under... You can lean over? Well, a 10-foot rod, if you're leaning on the railing, the first four guides will go under the bridge. Right. As opposed to the line if it's a short rod. If you got an eight-foot rod, you cut yourself off on the bottom of the bridge. Right. And so say say you're standing on top of the bridge and you get a big snook on Mm -hmm. and he starts going underneath the bridge. Yeah. What what do you do? do? You just pull. (laughs) You pull (laughs) back up against the current? You just pull as hard as you can. The one thing You can't walk down off the bridge and chase him. A lot of times you're way out on the bridge. But the one thing people don't realize is there's a cute thing I tell people that fish for snook with me. I said, if you get a fish goes back under the bridge or you hook a fish way back under the bridge, there's one thing and one thing only you can do. Jump. Turn the handle. No matter what, you keep turning the handle. Can you gain line? Well, you're trying to, but you keep turning the handle. Because if he should start to turn... And you're turning the handle. You have no slack. And you get him coming and you're winding, he'll keep coming. But if you slow up or stop for a second, he'll turn. He'll turn, go right through the pilings and cut you off. Did you have a net that you would drop down and net these fish with? Well, today you we couldn't pull a 40 pound no, fish. No, today up. we use bridge nets, but back in the day, we used to take two, four 12 0 shark hooks oh, and, and weld them, them together. And then put six pounds of lead on it. And we dropped that down. And when you jerked it with the six pounds of lead, when it came up, when it hit him, it buried the hook in him. And then you just pull him up the side of the bridge. Oh, my goodness. That's like medieval fishing. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't tell you how many we lost waiting for somebody to try to gaff them. Guy dropped the gaff and he'd miss him and drop the gaff and miss him. And you'd get frayed off or the hook would come out. So how many real big fish you lost over the years i would assume you'd there's pull a, a lot of uh, you'd pull a lot of hooks out of their mouth because the the snook's mouth is so um right it's, it's it, soft in a lot yeah, of places you did pull a lot some of membrane sometimes it depends if you got them right around the lips you hold them much better even today where we fish circle hooks for them in the inlets and things and on the beaches with lighter line you hook a fish on a circle hook and pull the circle hook because right. it didn't roll into the corner or roll in. It got caught in the membrane, like what you said. It yeah. Out. Did you fish the beaches in the summer when they're spawning out there? Oh, yeah. yeah. You're a fly fish for them in the troughs? Yep. Oh, yeah. What's that like? I, I keep oh, hearing yeah. it's pretty cool. I bet it, it was back in the day you had big fish out there, huh? Yeah. Well, you still can. If you fish up around Juneau, you can still get 20, 25-pound fish up there in the trough. We used to fish for them up at Blowing Rocks and Hope Sound Beach up there. And you're and sight fishing them. You're seeing them cruise? You see them cruising, yeah. <coughs> wow, you're, that's very you're cool. You're casting to them kind of like where you're casting to the tarpon. Right. You see coming. Very that's cool. That's got to be awesome. It's it's pretty neat. You got, you know, you wish that you were up higher, you know, you like on better. A, 
on the flats boat. We're all up on uh, platforms looking for them. And years back, we were putting coolers up on the front and standing up on top of the cooler years ago. You know, it's funny, the last time I got on the polling platform, I got up there and I said, it's a good thing I got a push ball. If I didn't have the push ball, I don't know if I have good enough balance to stand (laughs) up here. And I was thinking about the years you take people fishing. And years ago, we had places that we did the steak and bait bake you put the push pole in rope it off and you're standing there yeah the steak the steak steak and and bake (laughs) (laughs) well that's pretty that's pretty good especially in june and the keys it was steak and bake you're hot if you're pulling the boat you're pushing a little air across you which is a little nicer than just put the pole in and but i was like i couldn't stand there anymore i'd fall off Oh God, it's so funny. Uh, I was fishing in the uh, the Golden Fly tournament one time. It was really rough. It was Paul Tahir and I, and we got out there near uh, this certain location. It was pretty rough, and I hadn't even gotten my fly rod out. I've got to go to the bathroom, so I go to the back of the boat and I'm taking a pee, and and it's rough, and and the water's coming up over the deck, and all of a sudden I slip and I fall out of the boat. And Mikey Ellers is just down the down the line about a hundred yards. I climb back in, and you hear him screaming over there. I look over, and he's on the on the back polling platform, just standing there, with his push pole balanced on the top of his head. He's just like like Yoda. <laughs> yeah, back there. yeah. Meanwhile, I'm yeah, yeah fall I'm, in. I'm wringing my diapers out. You oh, know, uh, um, I did that. At, uh, I'm sure you fished the campgrounds. Yeah, and that's the spot I showed Randy years ago before. Wow, that was a long time ago. There. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is when the first year he was down in the Keys. That 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 place is still so good. Those fish just love swimming by there. Oh, you, when they come through there, we had the, probably had two hundred shots the one day that we were there. Yeah. So so they so so many people love a sport to the point that they want to get they they want to buy a shop, but. Be careful what you wish for because so many golfers that I know, they want to become golf pros, but they're not on tour, so they have to work in a shop. Their yeah. golfing days go away. Yeah. Did your fishing days go away when you bought your shop, TNR Tackle? I couldn't fish as much as I wanted to because I was there six days a week. And in the beginning, they want to see you. Fortunately, today, I still own it, but I haven't actually worked there in probably the last three years since the pandemic. But Jeff Seeley has been running it for me, and Jeff's been with me, I want to say, 27 or 28 years wow. now. He started when he was 15. Did the uh, did the, um, did the COVID uh, pandemic increase your sales? Because I've, I've noticed everywhere I've gone, yes. everything's inundated with people fishing now. Well, we actually closed the shop when it first started. That's right, because everybody was shut down. Because everybody was shut down. And uh, Jeff's told me three weeks later. Jeff, said, Jeff Maggio? No, Jeff uh, Seeley. Okay, yeah, yeah. He runs the shop f- for me. And uh, he called me and said, you're not going to believe it, but I've already done 55000 with the store closed. He said, I'm going to go open it up if that's okay with you. So that was, he went and reopened it. He said, because it's stupid. He said, we probably could have done 150000 and being closed doing 55,000, he said, I'm gonna go open, so he did. <coughs> and it seemed like during the COVID, a lot of people were fishing because there wasn't anything else they could do. Right. And it's like, 
if you and your son wanted to go fishing, you knew whether he'd been exposed to something or you were exposed to something, so you were perfectly safe fishing. Right. So people were going fishing. Because you're still separated. Um, how is the fishing today? I mean, you're still enjoying it. You're still oh, yeah. catching a bunch of fish. Well, it's like what uh, I told you earlier. Uh, I want to say last year, my son and I caught 292 snook, my youngest son. You count them. We count them. And we actually keep a log of where we caught it, what the tide was, what the bait was. After everything. all these years. Yeah, still do the same stilly thing. Habits are hard to break. And uh, this year, I you, think... Did you bring your log book with you? No. <laughs> <laughs> this year, I think we caught 282 so far. Uh, usually during the mullet run, I catch quite a, a few. And this year during the mullet run, I actually haven't caught one. I had a 25-pounder on. But you mentioned about the size of the fish. Uh, the size of the fish, there's still some big fish around. I caught one 37 pounds last year in you Fort did. Lauderdale. You 37 pounds? Yeah. Oh, so my gosh. there's still big fish around. At night under a bridge? Actually, my oldest son and I went fishing one morning, and uh, we uh, got about 12 baits, and we stopped at one place, and he was fishing. And I said, you should fish under this dock here. He said, I like this corner. I threw the bait under the dock and caught one. It was about 25 pounds. So he's like, I guess I should have fished under the dock. So we go to another spot, and uh, it's a spot that him and I had fished when he was growing up. And uh, he ran down to what the best spot was. It's a bank. And I stopped at a little closer Are Are you spot. walking? Or We're walking. walking. We got out of the car and he took a mullet and ran and I took a mullet and ran. He went to the best spot and I went to the spot that's sometimes good. Well, he said he heard the fish blow my mullet up and I hollered for him and he ran and got the net and he netted the fish in a bridge net, but we're standing up on a rocky cliff kind of. And he's pulling it up and he goes, this thing is big. He said, you want to help me pull it up? And I'm like, didn't look that big to me. He said, well, here, help. So we're pulling it up, and then he just let me have it. And he goes, how big do you think that is? I'm holding the net. And I'm like, it's pretty big. He's like, well, <laughs> so it was 37, so we let That's that That's almost go. the biggest fish you've ever caught, and you caught it last year. Well, I've caught a, quite a few fish in the— Late, long, 30, high 30s. 35, 36, 37. But one of the biggest yeah, after all uh, these years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So so you you were mentioning a good spot versus just a spot. You know, what... Good versus not as good. What do you... What's what's What makes that really good spot good? Is that the current or is that structure? It's structure, current, or where fish tend to stay for some reason. There's some areas with the, we fish that are docks. And one of the areas, um, my son and I had 10 bites there two years ago between 7 o'clock in the morning and quarter to 8. And I think we caught maybe three or four fish. But they went in and dredged the canal and took all the oyster barbs and all the little things out. Changed the structure. And there's no good. nothing there anymore. Because when you look down the intercoastal, you see hundreds and thousands of docks, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Is it just, you're just trying those docks and seeing whether the fish are holding or can you actually see, look at a dock and say that that's going to be a good spot? No, we used to try them and try them and try them. There's a spot that uh, we fish that there's a dock that uh, we call the red dock. 
because the other docks aren't red. And there's, <laughs> of course, naturally, like the, the old red, like the old red dock in Jupiter Inlet was where all the stuff were. Well, they pressure cleaned the dock, and you know, if you tell people the red dock, they wouldn't know what it was unless it, they were fishing it when it was right. there. But uh, that dock always held plenty of snook, and there's 50 docks in the same area, and one other dock would you catch a fish off of? Hmm. I so would think that the I, I would think it's that, the way the current and the way the bait fish. Yeah, you were mentioning that before and how the bait flow, flows through a certain area. I would think that the advent of uh, sonar and side scans are decimating the fish now because now you can just slow troll a wall your your side scan can see the fish and you make another pass where they are because now they can learn these spots in a in a matter of a week that it took you four decades to learn yeah you'd think it, but does that break your heart you'd think but it doesn't seem like it uh 100% works that way do you think people are trying to do learn spots like that? I think people do try to learn spots like that. You may learn where certain fish lay, but, you know, it's... How to catch them is another thing. Yeah, how to catch them is a different thing. And because you know where they lay doesn't mean that you can catch them. There's some spots we fish out of the boat and uh, during the summer, during the closed season. And as you know, there's plenty of boaters going to fish in the inlet. And... We'll set up and we're fishing and another guy will come in and set up and he sets up. There's no fish where he set up. You know there's no fish there. That's why you're not there. Well, they just don't swim there. Right. <laughs> and it's funny because as the tides change, whether that's incoming or outgoing, the fish move with the tides. And the guys that fish these spots evidently have no clue to what they're doing. Now, Will they catch a fish? Yeah, they'll catch a fish. Some afternoons in some of the spots that we fish in inlets, we might catch 35 or 40 snook wow. between two of us. And everybody else has got and two or three. the rest of them catch two or three or maybe four. And you'd think that they'd figure something out because, you know, if you're 150 yards from me and you see us catching fish after fish after fish, You'd learn something. You'd go, what are they doing? What are they doing? Right. Next time I come, if they're not there, I'm going to be go there. there. Well, the guys might do that, but they might be there on the wrong tide and the fish aren't there. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, we always hear in the snook world about David Justice. Yeah, David Justice, uh, years ago when uh, Tommy Green met him at the Miami Boat Show. And actually, uh, Tommy and I taught Dave a lot about uh, snook fishing. Dave is a very, very good snook fisherman. He's an excellent snook fisherman. He still catches a lot of snook. I haven't talked to Dave probably in about uh, a year now. We were going to fish on the West Coast uh, just before the snook pandemic, and then something happened that I couldn't fish. I think I got sick or something. Right. But at any rate, no, Dave is a real good snook fisherman. He grew up in Miami. He fished Royal Palm and Flagler Bridge. And I, Tommy and I used to take him to Stewart and he'd fish up in Stewart with us. So, But, um, but the, the, you were talking about your favorite bait um, versus mullet. What about shrimp on jigs? 
We use shrimp with a split shot and a hook. We use shrimp on troll rights. We use shrimp on jigs. Is that when you couldn't get the other bait? Uh, a lot of times we just do that because I call it laziness. Like uh, convenience. My younger son would say, "Let's not take the bait wall and the cast net. I don't want to clean them." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's just use lures. It's easier. Well, we still catch a lot of fish on lures. I mean, there's right. mornings we'd catch six, eight fish on lures. So he, so why do we want to take the? Yeah. Did you ever target snook with fly rods? Yeah. Oh, definitely. He just yeah. said he targeted them on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but actually, I. But uh, but other than the them, summer spawn, I too. caught them by bridges. Believe it or not. On flies. Uh, the uh, SOBs of Broward County, sport fishermen of Broward, the nicknames, the SOBs. Right. Uh, I probably still have the snook record on fly. Uh, one of the guys, Rick Grosser, and I were fishing uh, the little Mercedes Bridge by 17th Street one morning. And we'd just gotten through fishing for the big snook, and we were down on the seawall, and there was jacks all over the place. And Rick was pulling his mullet out from the jack, and he goes, oh, here's a snook. And he put the mullet back in, and I had the fly rod to catch a jack. And he goes, here, pitch the fly over here. And I just pitched the fly over and stripped it once, and the snook ate it, and I caught him. Somehow he didn't go under the bridge. He went away from the bridge, which right. was a miracle. You know, so often in the fly world, you hear about hierarchy as far as spots go and spot ownership. Is that that exist in the snook world? If someone's fishing a spot and you come rolling around, do you expect them to? No, absolutely not. No. Uh, if I pull up someplace and there's people fishing there, I go someplace else. Right. But does that exist? Uh, I don't think so as much among the snook fishermen, the tarpon fishermen, uh, John Donnell's. Uh, Craig Key. Spot. <laughs> Craig Key, John Donnell, and Mikey Ellers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can tell I did a lot of that, too. <laughs> so you did? Oh, yeah, sure. I, I did an awful lot of fly fishing down there. Well, you'll never get to uh, that spot again. Oh, no. <laughs> they yeah. I used to fish a lot. was a great spot. I think I caught the biggest uh, tarpon I caught in my life at with John Emery. Interesting story. Uh, John and I were fishing and he goes, look at this tarpon. And I look over and this fish was huge. And I threw the fly to him and stripped it. And he came up and sucked it in and didn't turn. And I stripped and it came out of his mouth and I stripped it again. He ate it five times coming to the boat. Wow. And the last time he ate it, I just jumped up in the air and tried to hook him. Right. And I turned to John and I said, how big was that? He goes, how much over 200 was it? He said, my no guess, kidding. 230 plus. And at that time he was, here's another fish right here. And I backhanded him, stripped it once and hooked him. And I got him on and John actually beat the water with the push pole so he'd come tight on the fly line. Right. So I'm fighting the fish and fighting the fish and fighting the fish. And John goes, you pulling on him or what? You've been like 45 minutes. And I go, I'm freaking pulling. He goes, well, pull what, harder. Are you, what are you doing? <laughs> so I'm pulling, I'm pulling, I'm pulling, I'm pulling. He goes, we're about an hour and 20 minutes. And finally, I'm getting the close fish closer and closer and closer. And John goes, that fish is a lot bigger than what we think it is. He goes, wow. So he gets the fish close and he goes, 
hand me my hand gaff. So he lifts him and pulls him into the boat and tape measures him and does the numbers. And he goes, it might be bigger than Pate's. It was when Pate had the world record. Yeah, yeah right. He said, he said, I got it at 190. He says, but it, do you want to kill it? Yeah, that's risky. And yeah. I said, no, let him go. Yeah, right. So but the other one that the other one that bit was much larger than that one. That's he. What we talked about afterwards, we said, well, if that one's was tape one. measured around mm-hmm. one ninety, which we'd probably say was probably maybe more in the one eighty, one seventy five, one because still big. You can be off, right? So how big was that first one? Wow. Interesting. Yeah. We hit, we were talking to. Uh, Another captain here that, that does a lot of bait fishing around Miami. He was saying last year he caught a fish that may have been close to 300. I, it's hard to believe that we have such big fish in South Florida. There still is big fish in South Florida. The 242 that was caught in New River, that's going back probably 20, 30 years now. Yeah. But I've had some fish back up in the river that were really big, too. And I know that Jeff Maggio's had some real big ones on back there, too, that right. we didn't catch. So the good old days are still here. Well, there's still some good old days. I uh, fished with uh, Ted Jaworczyk one day, and uh, we were in And I told Ted, I said, cast to the third fish in the school, let the first two go by, fish the third fish. So he did, and he goes, Georgie, Georgie, that fish is huge. Well, it didn't eat. And Ted turned around and said, that looked like it was prehistoric. (laughs) He said, what do you think that was, 250? I mean, this thing was huge. It looked like it was fake. It was so big. Speaking of the great Ted Jurassic, he's he's going to be on our podcast here on Monday. I mean, this this podcast is going to air down the line, though. But what a fascinating man. What a wonderful story, you know, escape the... uh, the Russian Revolution or Hungarian. the Hungarian Revolution yeah. when the Russians were trying to take over oh, yeah. Hungary. Well, he bridge snook fished with us up in Stewart years ago, too. So he was doing the long rods and the snook fishing like that, too. Yeah. So Ted's been through all different types of uh, fishing eras. and uh, As we all have. Yeah. You know, I, f- I find it interesting. I have a lot of people that want to catch tarpon on fly, and it's just not a right right not the right conditions yeah it's like we can go mess around or we can go catch a fish what do you want to do but they're just such a purist that they're going to lose out on all this great excitement um what do you miss most if anything about those days when you're catching all those big fish and staying up late every night and Uh, chasing bridges and tides honestly and truly probably don't miss it as much I mean, I could still get up and go do it, but I just, uh, like Tommy Green would say if he was sitting here, I just don't have the desire. I've never even fished the new Flagler Bridge. I fished the uh, new Royal Palm Bridge, I think, two times. And it's funny that people that fish the Royal Palm Bridge don't know where to fish. Because there's fish there. The fish are still in the same place that they always were and they bite the same way they always bit and the people don't know how to fish it again as he mentioned earlier he said people throw their bait and let the current bring it to the bridge royal palm you threw your bait under the bridge and let the current take it away they hit going way away from the bridge or they hit pretty close to the bridge right and the I shadow know, lines 
they'd either bite on the shadow line or up there, you might get a bite 200 feet off the bridge. Right. They hit way out off of the bridge. And there's a bridge in Fort Lauderdale, and it's not the same anymore, but uh, years ago, so people might get mad at me for saying away in Pompano. But years ago, we used to fish perch there, and you'd throw the perch under the bridge and let it go away from the bridge, and you'd get bit out at the end of the fender or further out. They didn't eat close to the shadow line or close to the bridge. So each and every bridge is different is different and works different on different tides. Do you think you guys were more creative and innovative, or do you think you just fished more to learn all this great stuff? I think we probably just fished so much we learned a lot about the fishing. Uh, Another friend of mine, uh, Charlie March, before Tommy Green and I started fishing together, Charlie March and I would fish most every morning. His family owned March Nursery in uh, Fort Lauderdale. And Charlie and I would, 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock, meet at a specific bridge. He'd try to catch mullet. I'd try to catch mullet. And we'd have mullet. And we'd go fish snook on four or five bridges and say goodbye and do it again the next day. So I can't imagine how much fun that was, you know, knowing that you were going to get a big one that night. But you had to chase bridges from Jupiter to Miami. Yeah, but where we... Or we fished a lot local. I mean, I've caught an awful lot of fish in Fort Lauderdale. We still catch quite a few fish, but nothing like it used to be. Right. Uh, I think the most fish I caught on one bridge in Fort Lauderdale in the last four or five years might have been seven. And a lot of times we'd catch 12, 14 fish on a specific bridge and a small bridge. Bridges that you'd never think had snook. I was tell something because it's no good anymore. (laughs) (laughs) On Bayview Drive between Commercial Boulevard and 62nd Street, one, there's the entrance to Bay Colony. And if you go into Bay Colony, there's gates on either side to get in and get out. And there's a pipe that connects the waterways on either side. Would you ever think anybody put a mullet in the pipe? Inside the pipe. Inside the pipe. Drifted inside? Drift the mullet back in the pipe, get, get it back bite. 50, 60 feet. Boom, boy, did they eat that mullet. The mullet had nowhere to go except down the fish's Ooh. mouth. Oh, my God, and how creative. Might catch three or four fish out of that pipe in the morning. That's awesome. Now, as you're coming. That must have been a, because they couldn't fight very well. They couldn't swim. Well, they, they turn around and go away. Go. <laughs> there you go. There's another little bridge just to the south of that that's a little flat bridge. And it's probably not, oh, it's not as, maybe as wide as this room. And I've caught four or five fish on that bridge in the morning. And uh, one morning I was fishing with a friend of mine and I walked up and got a bite and I hooked a fish and he went under the bridge pulling drag. And there was a house on the corner to the back and then the canal turned. And I'd say probably 150 to 180 feet. He pulled drag going under the bridge and cut me off turning the corner on the seawall. Wow. They... Pull real hard. I had a fish at, uh, we call it the Club Ridge, Camino Real, 
bridge years You're ago. You're giving all your spots away, George. Well, They're not going to catch him anyway. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I hooked a fish there one morning that actually hooked off the bridge. I had to get off the bridge and chase him because he'd about turned the corner to go to the inlet. That's crazy. And that was on 100. And 100. when I came back to the bridge, I stood on my rod and reel and tried to pull the drag out. It hardly slipped. Jeez, How did that fish go that hard? Right. Gosh, you lived such a big life, George. Just, what, what about the spillways? I did a lot of the spillway fishing, too. Uh, the spillway fishing, you know. Is that good? <laughs> oh, it was great. I, I got to give you this story because this is a really good story. But uh, we caught plenty of snook fishing shad on the spillways. And you'd fish a 12, 14-inch shad. So one day they just opened up Boyd Anderson Spillway and I went to try to catch bait. So I went out to a place where I could usually catch shad. So I threw the cast net on one side of the bridge and it started going away from the bridge and about a 50 pound tarpon jumped. I accidentally netted the tarpon. (laughs) He got out of the net and didn't tear the net up. So I was like, wow, I go over the other side of the bridge, sand bottom, I throw the net. I'm trying to tuck it and it's moving back under the bridge. And I'm like, what is this? Well, it walked up on the shoreline. Alligator. Alligator. <laughs> and one shad. He just tears this net to shreds finally, and I run down and grab the shad. I'm like, right. oh, I got a shad. <laughs> Stupid, you know, you just lost a $150 cast net, but you got a shad. Put right. it in the well. You're happy. Run back. And I fished that shad for probably two and a half hours. Never got a bite. It's amazing. And usually you walk up there, drop the shad in the water, and you got a bite in a right. couple seconds. Well, Tom, um, you know, it's it, it's a you time. You almost call them Tom. <laughs> no, That's okay. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a time that has evolved, um, but it's still it's still really great well, there's in, still in a lot of aspects to it. People that are fishing can still enjoy fishing and catch fish it's just not as easy as it, it once used was, to be like everything you know, it's just like if uh you were interviewing jeff maggio and i'm sure you watch some of his different uh, youtube things he used to can you get a dozen right, right can you right. get a dozen yeah lunker lunker dog yeah lunker dogs <laughs> well if i was doing that today I'd say, can you get four right. if you're in Broward County? Your bait's bad, yeah. Could you Water. possibly get four? That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. And uh, two years ago, uh, my oldest son and I, because my younger boy was up at University of Florida getting his master's, we've had one area where we could get mullet. We get three throws, 12 mullet. And we're throwing seven-foot cast nets in Broward County. We weren't breaking the... Law throwing bigger nets and we'd go fishing and we'd still get some pretty decent fishing like i said that year i caught a 37 with him anything you'd like to add i mean we've covered a lot of stuff here um no i think probably uh my biggest concern today is the same concern that jeff maggio has is the quality of water in broward county and uh, my oldest son worked on a barge in Hammersheese Canal two years ago. And they were trying to skim and purify Hammersheese Canal. 
And actually, they were doing a pretty good job because the mullet started to show a backup in there. And he told me he'd seen some 25, 30 pound snook cruising around in Hammersheese Canal. Well, unfortunately, since that barge has been pulled out of there and they stopped doing that, they had the sewerage bill and the canals dead. Dead again. Yeah. And the thing is, and uh, I told Jeff this, but uh, most people used to net mullet in that canal. They didn't have any idea how many snook were under the 8th Avenue Bridge or how many snook were under the uh, Los Olas Bridge. Otherwise, they'd been snook fishing in that canal instead of just net mullet. Because <laughs> yeah. that was a real good canal for snook. But, you know, we didn't post all these things. <laughs> right, right. And I still don't, you know, it's like uh, I haven't taken a picture of a snook and I couldn't tell you how many years. In fact, uh, a friend of mine that's a fishing guide that I fish with occasionally uh, up in the Palm Beach and uh, Jupiter area was telling somebody that these are the biggest snook that he caught during the summer this past year that he weighed was 28 pounds. He said, eh, he said I probably caught some bigger fish than that. He says, because George and I have fished together and George would get a fish in the boat and go, eh, that's 30, 32, what do you think? And he'd go, I just pull the hook out and we let him go because I don't take right. the pictures, so he's not putting a boger grip in him and weighing him either. Right. Now, as him and I talked, he said, if we got a fish to the boat that we both thought was 35 plus, we'd probably get the boger grip and weigh him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but mm. uh, in all the snook that he catches, you know, to catch one or two 30 pounders a year fishing basically May, June, July, August, and the first few weeks of September. You know, that's not saying a whole lot for- Big fish. The big fish in the inlet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he'll fish uh, all over the place and he catches quite a few snook. You know, I'm gonna say he probably gets 2,000 a year caught out of his boat. So, you know, if you catch that many snook and you're only catching one or two 30 pounders, how many real big fish are around? Right. And I'd even say the real good snook guides that just fish Jupiter Inlet, if they're truthful, how many real 30 pound fish? Today, it's 40 inches, 40 inches. Right, the poundage went away. The poundage has gone away. Did- and a 40 inch snook, when you pinch the tail, could be 24 pounds or 23 pounds. But what about during the spawn, uh, you know, when all those things are spawning in the inlets? Aren't there some really a lot of big fish still when they come out to spawn? You'd think there would be, but like I said, I've Not fished. getting them. I've fished those, both of those inlets. I've fished uh, in Boynton and then Palm uh, in uh, Boca Inlet. And you just don't just seem there. to find those fish. Yeah. Well, it's well, great to meet the Snook King. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that that would be like, <laughs> like I said, I'm a little more humble, humble. than that. And <laughs> I truly believe that there's plenty of guys today that uh, fish a lot, that catch a lot yeah, sure. larger. The spillway guys that fish the live baits, a lot of those guys will catch 30, 35 pound fish pretty regular because those spillways are really good. Yeah, Lake Worth Spillway, uh, it's really, really good spillway and uh, the guru for Lake Worth Spillway fishing lures is Mark Hightower and if you uh, look at 
any of his posts or anything he does. He's does a lot of posts on Facebook, but uh, he's a real good guy. He also does some religious posts, as we would call them. I'd say Christian posts, right. not religious. Right. But, well, you had your day in the sun. And uh, thank oh, you for sharing yeah. your story with us. Well, thank it's you. It's been for... a long time since uh, since yeah. I've seen you. Yeah, and it's, thank it's... you for having me come up. And I'm still... glad to meet your son. I watched him fish with Maggio, and uh, you know, I think he was probably swimming in the swimming pool one day. You and I were playing golf with his mother. <laughs> that was a long, <laughs> that was a long time, long time ago. ago. With our that's, beagle. That's with our... how. Yeah, that's how far back. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Well, great to see you again, yeah. George. Thanks Good so much for you. coming on. Thank you Andy, once thank again. You. Yeah. yeah, so much fun. Thank yeah. you for all these great stories. Yeah. At this spry age of seventy-three, George's passion for catching snook is still vibrant. He and his son are still chasing their dream fish together and are often catching snook that will make you scratch your head. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon. Just a ride.